Welcome to NRP's Leadership Conference podcast. Every February, pastors and leaders from around the country gather together at our Leadership Conference for dynamic teaching, powerful worship, impartation, ministry, and covenant relationships. Here's one of the recordings from our 2023 Leadership Conference. It is such an honor, really, to be here with you. It's uh, It really is the heartbeat of my life to be able to help pastors. And, uh, and mainly, you know, what I share is blood, blood and scars, stuff that uh, I want you to avoid and uh, do my best to help you do that again. Pastors Keith and Penny, your whole leadership team. I mean, thank you guys so much. Thank you for coming to Cranberry Township and uh, making our church better. And just, I'm telling you, man, to have a friend like, you know, just... Man, I got you know, it's just hard to find great friends at any age, but we just love this couple so much. And you are so, so blessed to have them as as, as the leaders of this movement. And uh, what a great environment, man. You guys, wow, this is just, it's just great to see people join together like this. I want to get right into some of the things today. We're going to get more granular today into the things that will help you apply the principles we talked about last night. Because a lot of times things can stay at a 50,000 foot level and I don't know how to act on it. And so if I'm going to stay in my grace and other people have theirs, how do I identify those people? What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do as a pastor? And so if my primary function is to identify or create an environment whereby people can identify the individual grace deposits in their life, how do I do that? How do I, I, now there are processes that can do that in your church, growth tracks or whatever you, whatever they're called in your church, but it's more than just a process. The head of the church puts something in them. Sometimes we, we miss that. We need help in this department. No, I don't need help in any department. I need people to discover the grace in their life and serve God with that grace. If not, I'm, I'm constantly having to recruit people. And, and, and look, finding and helping people to find their place and to serve, uh, <laughs> I'm not pretending that that ever gets easy. It doesn't because people don't live their life for the purpose for which they were created. And that's our job to help them do that. So what I want to do is in, in our sessions today is to take you through five things that Jesus did to multiply the kingdom. Everybody say multiply. If you're going to do something with my bank account, I don't want you to divide or subtract. Adding's okay, but I'd rather you multiply. Jesus was a multiplier. How did he do it? And, and what you'll find when you look at his practices, they're actually the opposite of what, how we have typically been trained to do ministry in his name. So if, if we're going to expect multiplication in our ministry lives, we can't do that violating the, the methods, if you will, and the principles by which Jesus ministered and lived. And so uh, there's a statement that John Maxwell makes that I, I, I just love it. He said, effort must be stored up before it shows up. Effort must be stored up before it shows up. And he said this, it's where the compounding impact of following Jesus or obedience shows up in your life. Most people quit the principles of Jesus because the timeline or the perceived lack of results cause them to feel like they're failing. And it makes them fail to understand there is an immutable kingdom principle that you're called to live by, seed, time, and harvest. It's, it's immutable. It's unchangeable. As long as the earth remains, there'll be seed, time, and harvest. Jesus said the kingdom operates as a seed. And you know, the parable of the sower. Everything you do in obedience starts as a seed. And then there's time. And then there's harvest. If, if, if farmers operated the way I believe I was, when I say trained, I don't mean anybody did it intently or in, on, on purpose. But if farmers worked the way I thought as a, starting a church 30 years ago, they'd never have a harvest. They'd plant the seed, go out tomorrow and say, this is... Uh, this didn't work. And they go to the next thing. 
And so I want to help you to understand that principle of seed time and harvest. And so this five simple things. Now, I do hear voices. I don't answer them. So if I hear a voice, I mean, if I can hear it, I can usually do it because I have to hear it. And, and so it'll just show up in my head. And it's, it's a tough thing when you're married to someone like that who hears voices. And at least, again, I don't answer them. So that's a good thing. But so, you know, just for fun, you know, like anybody like Forrest Gump? And so my wife really appreciates when I do Forrest for her. Anybody married ever get in trouble? Yeah, it's a, it's a gift I have. And, uh, and so sometimes the, the spirit of ticked off will come upon her. And uh, I can't imagine why. And so I'm trying to, like, you know, get out of the, 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 the doghouse. And so, so I'll, I'll, and she's not happy. You know that happy, unhappy time when your wife's talking to you? I'm not like, oh, honey, I'm upset. Like, you're an idiot kind of look, you know. So I'll just look her right in the eyes, right in the middle of it all, and I'll go, why don't you love me, Jenny? I'll be a good husband. And she'll say, you know, no woman ever dreamed for their husband to speak to them like Forrest Gump. What's wrong with you? Why don't you love me, Jenny? And then, because I'm Italian, and it's a requirement if you're on staff at my church that you have to watch The Godfather. Well, just one and two. Three's not real. No offense to Andy Garcia, but Andy Garcia didn't do good with being Italian, man. I mean, right in the middle of it, he was doing this Italian kind of Brooklyn thing, then he went, okay, man. I was like, nah, that, 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 that's not going to work there, Andy. But uh, I'm, yeah, anyway, I'm a little bit over it. But anyway, but, but Don Corleone is, is somebody that is, is, it, it comes in my head. And so very often when I'm like in church, and I, I think it would be fun to receive an offering that way. <laughs> I really think about it like, today uh, we're going to receive an offering today. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, expect, I expect you to give. <laughs> so how, how much should I give? Do I have to tell you? So I have this, uh, this, uh, this angel. Luca, he'll come and help you to give. <laughs> now, but that aside, we don't love one another. You don't make me unhappy. So I hear voices. And they usually come in the middle of a message. Anybody, I look down at my wife, sometimes I'm speaking, and she's got this look on her face like, Now, again, I grew up with brothers, so I'll look at her and I'll say, right in the middle of the message, I'll go, what? Say, tell me now. I just want to know. Tell me now. I don't want to carry this all day. What'd I do? And she'll just look at me like, oh, you're an idiot. I said, no, baby, it's okay. It's just church. Just tell, tell me what I did. <laughs> so it just gets worse. So if, if nothing else, as a spouse, you will leave here looking at your husband thinking, you're not that stupid, so God bless us. We, we're, 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 we got a leg up. But I want to take you into the multiplication practices of Jesus that he taught his disciples and that they practiced. And the first one's really simple. What did Jesus do first? What Jesus did first? We all know the principle of first in the Bible is critical. That's why we tithe. How many of you are aware of your pastors? Tithing isn't about money. It's about first. First dime of every dollar doesn't belong to me. It's God's. So do I take what belongs to God and consume it? Or do I steward it? Amen? So tithing isn't giving. It's just not stealing. No, really. I mean, people say, well, I gave my tithe. You didn't give any. It didn't belong to you. I pay my electric bill. I don't say, look what I gave the electric company. They didn't even send me a thank you note. It doesn't belong to me. When you learn the principle of first, you understand that's how the kingdom operates. God's name is first, Alpha. Jesus is preeminent in all things. So when I see what he did first when he entered into his ministry, 
it begins to take me on a journey that is almost the antithesis of the way most of us have been trained to do ministry. And I don't mean intentionally trained. We just fall into it. And I'm not speaking at you. I'm with you. These are the same battles I've had to go through the years. And, and when you overcome these beliefs, if you will, or I'm going to say a word that usually won't fit here, ungodly practices. What do you mean ungodly? Not godlike, not Christlike. Here's the first one. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out. Luke 6, 12, he said, It came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called to him, his disciples, and of them, everybody say of them. He chose, everybody say chose. Really critical. He chose 12, whom he also named apostles. He gave them their purpose at the inception. He named them. So the first thing, of course, is that you pray. That's obvious as a pastor. But here's the deal, is that I always in my mind, for some reason, saw Jesus going up to 12 guys individually. That's all, you know, and, and there were some of that. But the Bible said he called all of his disciples together and he selected 12. What about the other ones? What if I wasn't selected? Well, that's not fair. Well, what about me? Selection is as it pleases him, not me. My physical body, if my elbow ever gets upset at elbow and says, I'm going to be a foot, bad things are going to happen in my body. So when people come into the kingdom and they want you to distribute your effort and time equally, it's, it's unbiblical. So notice what he did. He named them. He, he prayed and then he called them and intentionally chose. Everybody say choose. This is really important. Nobody's volunteering. Oh, Jesus didn't wait for volunteers. He said, you're a sent one. You're an apostle. And you, they could say no. You remember the rich young ruler? Did he say no? Jesus said to him what he said to the, to the 12, didn't he? And what did he say? No. I, I got all the stuff. And he went away sorrowful. Jesus enlisted people to, to his intimate circle. And some people said no. I can't control the response of an individual to the call and the grace on their life. But I can control my response to giving them the opportunity to obey it. So he chose 12 and then he named them. So he named them and then he sent them. He gave them a purpose and then he initiated that purpose. Remember this, effective leaders are not born. They're intentionally chosen and developed. Effective leaders are not born. They're intentionally chosen and then developed. And Jesus spent that three, three and a half years developing a small group of people. When we started the church in 93, um, I, I had been, I had traveled in churches for years and we lived in Africa and did missions and came back to start the church that God called us to plant. But I went to church after church after church after church. And I mean, and they were typically churches of about 150 or below. And, uh, and they were wonderful. I mean, wonderful pastors and, and their wives and people. I mean, just, I was so honored to be there. And, and really, I mean that with utter sincerity. But I began to, over those years of about seven years of doing that, I saw a certain thread occur. Certain things that people would say over and over again that I thought were true, but they weren't. Things like this. This area is just a hard area. This one used to be popular. This is the hotbed of all witchcraft. Wow. That's witchcraft's here. Witchcraft's in your church. Well, is, isn't witchcraft just simply manipulation? <laughs> that could show up in your marriage. Okay, we'll just... Um, um, Bad, bad. 
I'm sorry. That wasn't nice. Shut up, Enzo. And but I began to watch pastors say things about people that really, I thought, there's got to be something wrong with that. There was always just a handful that they could trust, and the rest were just rough on them. And I remember thinking, there's something wrong with this. And they would never speak of people the way God does. They saw people as problems rather than solutions. And, and, and I understand why. And is it just me, but when I, I, I don't do much, I don't watch any news anymore, I can't, it makes me crazy. So I can't watch it. You say, you're, you're disciplined. No, I just don't want to be crazy. I can't do it anymore. It's not all of it's crap. In the name of Jesus, of course. So, okay. just, just being, I, mean, I have four brothers. Now, if that offended you, I'm sorry. It's Pastor Keith's fault. But anyway, um, I'm just so tired of watching, listening to people complain about the church. Church hurts a real thing. But man, we are in the victim Olympics. Everybody wants to be a victim. He hurt my feelings. And all I can hear is my grandfather, shut up, acting like a man. What's the matter, you boy? My father, shut up, go to work. No one cares if you're happy. Your mother cares. That's the only one. No one's ever going to care. And everybody's trying to hose you the rest of your life. Get used to it. He was sensitive. And uh, people sitting in their underwear, typing. So-and-so said, who's so-and-so? Some, some moron in a basement. I love, the I love Jesus. I just hate the church. Really? It's like coming up to me. Love you. Hate your wife. Love you, Pastor John. Your wife is woman's ugly. I don't know how you stomach being around that broad. Anybody know that's not going to endear me to you. Right? I'm likely to have to, I don't know, assault charges. I wouldn't want, I got a group of four brothers. Our first response was injure the person and then talk. That way you, you, you get the conversations better when they're injured. Why am I saying that? Because the mindset doesn't just exist in, in spiritually immature babies who have opinions about stuff they've never done. That's spiritual adolescence. You can't be a spiritual adults know better. Teenagers know everything. And babies want everything. And they're either teenagers or babies. So what do you do with them? You try to raise them up and train them. What if they don't grow up? Well, I can't help you. Because I'm not God. But what I can tell you this, I'm not going to give you a voice. Go ahead and give a teenager a voice in your house. Sweet, merciful heaven. <laughs> Woo! Why am I saying that? We start the church and we don't have anybody to help us. I didn't even know how to do, I didn't know, I'm not, I, I wish I could, I'm not, I wish I had time to tell you how little I knew and how much I did that would have been wrong as starting a church. Probably broke every rule you can do. And so Michelle says to me, well, honey, I should, you know, do a nursery. I said, no, you won't do the nursery. Unless for the rest of your life, you're going to be the buddy that fills in every spot in this church. If God has called us, because I get up the first weekend, and I told 33 people, only my family that loved me, the rest of them looked at me like, you're out of your mind. And I said everything, and I mean everything we're doing today in, in, in broad form. I, that first day I said, we will do this, and they will bury me on a hill somewhere here. And everybody's just looking at me like, yeah, you're out of your mind. And so Michelle said, well, honey, I should do that. I said, no, we aren't starting anything until there's a person to do it. Unless you're going to be that, unless you told me you're called to do nursery, then that's different. You, you should do what's in your heart. But you can't be the putty. Nobody wants to ever take a baton from a pastor's wife. 
And I didn't, and God didn't call you to be the church dog. Here, boy, here, boy, come on, come on, come on. Go get that. Go fetch. Go fetch. Go fetch. Go fetch. I said, so we're not going to do that. We we watch people do that. And it's and it's and the burden that they carry is unsustainable. So the little that we knew, I knew that. Let's seek God to find a person and then give that person direction. And it's a slower road when you do that. And, and, and I understand when you first get started in something, you need a body that's warm. But if that's where it stays, you will absolutely be violating the things Jesus did to multiply the kingdom. So here's a couple of process questions I have for you. Who have I intentionally chosen, trained, and named? Past tense. Now let me be even more specific. Go over, as, as, just as a process, go over the last 12 months, last year's calendar, and see who you have intentionally spent time with and developed them, trained them, and released them to do something of significant responsibility. How often are you doing that? Is it your primary practice or a one-off or not at all? Here's the second part of that. Who will I intentionally? Everyone say intention. Who will I intentionally choose, train, and name? And all I have to do then is look at your calendar that's out two months. If I look at your calendar and there's no people in it that have capacity and potential that you're meeting with in the next two months, you're not following the principles of Jesus. Because Jesus was intentional about who he chose. He didn't just get up and say, a bunch of guys, I, I really didn't really conceive that they were all there. I just thought just 12 of them, he, he picked the people out. He didn't go, okay, who wants to do it? I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. That's 15, no, 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 wait, wait. First 15, you guys were the last, yeah. okay, you 12, come on, come on. Jesus didn't just put out an all points bulletin and say, I need some, some disciples. You have to be intentional. First thing Jesus did, the first thing he did is he intentionally chose people. We'll get to the second part now. Second point is how did Jesus invest his time in influence? How did he invest his time in influence? And I again would suggest to you it's the exact opposite of how we've been trained. There were four groups of people of which Jesus spent time. The multitudes, the 72, the 12, and of the 12, there were three. So you could say nine and then three people. We have inverted that. Jesus spent the least amount of time with the multitudes. Then he spent more time with the 72. And he spent more time with the nine. And even more time with just three people. Pastors, we solve people's problems. We go to the multitude and try to solve all their problems. And we counsel. And they, Listen, if counseling worked, I'd do it. How about y'all? Very few people ever counseled, ever did squat. Early in our ministry, I was trying to help become a pastor. I'm trying to help people. Shepherds are supposed to be with the sheep. Don't you know that? Yeah, which sheep? That's a bigger question. So I'm doing counseling every Thursday, 8.30 to 7.30 at night, 45 minutes, and then 15 minutes, 45 minutes, all day long. I hated Thursday. I'm like, oh, God, I'm just saying, Lord, I can't do this. I know, I know I'm supposed to help people, but this is, I can't do this. Because they, they keep coming back. And someone else is, oh, he'll talk to you. No, I have a counseling appointment. Yeah, it's Thursday. And it's like, oh. And it, it started like four hours. And now I'm like 12-hour day. Telling them all pretty much the same thing. And then they come back and go, hi. And they just tell me new stuff. 
So I'm praying. I said, Lord, what do I do with this? And there's a scripture where the Bible says, is any afflicted in the book of James? Let him pray, not counsel. So I realized, I wonder if these people know how to pray. So I told my assistant, I said, from now on, tell them, whoever comes in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand my schedule. We're going to spend 30 minutes first in prayer, and then I'll talk to them for 30 minutes. And so I tell people that, okay, we're going to spend, kneel down there, we're going to spend 30 minutes. And prayer isn't just you thinking your grocery list. That's your mouth moving and your ears hearing you. We'd start, I'd start praying. I'm praying in my understanding, in the spirit. About 19 seconds later, it's silent. I said, oh, excuse me. Oh, we're going to pray for 30 minutes. And I just, I, 30 minutes, just kept going. No, no, you, you know how to pray. Just say, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Try, love you, Jesus. Worship, worship you, Jesus. Listen to this. I did that. This is, this is not one person scheduled another appointment. All I was doing was getting my ear beaten for 12 hours, helping nobody. One time, I asked him simply to do what the word said. Listen now, I said, every time you come back, we're going to do this. Not one of them ever scheduled another appointment. You want to lighten your load? If somebody's coming to you, and, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't do counseling. I didn't say that at all. I do, now, in our church, the size of this, if you're meeting with me, something bad's happening. I mean, if they're in my office, it's like someone's dead, dying, or somebody wishes someone was dead. <laughs> but I always start with that simple principle. Do you know how to pray and wait on God? Oh, yeah, okay, let's do that for 30 minutes together. Now? Yeah, right now. Thought we were going to talk. No, we're going to pray. You'd be amazed how few people want to pray with you. So again, the question is, how will you use your time and your influence? Now, in in the 72, even with the 72, in Luke chapter 10, the scripture said Jesus appointed or chose them. He picked, hand-selected 72 people. We know he ordained the 12. He selected them. You know he never selected was the multitude. He had no, in fact, he said some stuff to drive them away. Hey, you don't eat my flesh, drink my blood. You have no life in you. And they went, oh, we're out of here. He looked at Peter. He said, you leaving too? He said, I don't want to because you're nuts. I don't know where else to go. I don't understand what you just said. That was crazy. I just want you to know that was a big piece of crazy right there, Jesus. But you're the only one with eternal life, so I just got to stomach the crazy. I can't go. Listen now, in the three... In Matthew 17, 1, I want you to catch the principle. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Everybody say, with him. I, I don't know how to overemphasize uh, over, over the importance of that statement. His key people, he made sure, listen now, they were with him. And he led them to a high mountain by themselves. Now, when do we start? Because oh, I want to make sure we keep it. But we start about 9.30? I don't even know. Um, I just want to make sure we stay on, on track and, and take appropriate breaks and all that good stuff. If you're, if, you're, if you're going to reach many people, how many of you believe you're called to multiply the kingdom? Because Jesus multiplied, right? Then I have to focus my time and my efforts on the few, not the many. And it's very simple. I just have to look at my calendar. Who do I spend my time with? What problems am I solving? What problems am I called to solve as a pastor? Am I called to solve problems or to develop people that solve problems? Am I called to solve problems or to develop people who will develop people who will develop people who will develop people that will solve problems? For you to be a multiplier, there needs to be at least three to four generations of problem solvers. And in most of our lives, there's not even one generation because we are the problem solvers. 
That's not a, it's, it's, it's not an indictment. I'm just telling you that's what happened to me. And I did it with very good intentions. I really did. I just didn't know I was violating the principles of Jesus. And it's amazing. And, and through the years, when I would see a person with a... Now, our church is larger. We have a large demographic of people, okay? We're in a very populated area. And we're in a part of Pittsburgh that it's much easier to have happen than if you, where I grew up. I'm convinced our church would be half the size if I was on the side of Pittsburgh I grew up, just because of, of, of the type of ground. Bottom soil, easy to farm. You get a bunch of stuff. Farm, farm on the hillside with the rocks, you're going to work harder and get less fruit. That's just the nature of where you're called. Just, it's the nature of what it is. So please understand when I say this. I'm not telling you but this for the sake of, of numbers, but we're in a more populated area. When I, when I, when I look at, at what God has asked us to do, and then, people, and then people who are friends will call me, and they'll say, well, oh, I know you're too busy to talk. And I'm like, no, I'm not that busy. Well, you have to be. So no. When I would watch ministries of size and scope, I would think, God have mercy, how do they do all that? And it was a mystery to me. And like I said last night, People in my background, they wouldn't tell you the secret. But if you know Jesus, he can use you like he does me. Bless my holy name. <laughs> but we are given principles in the Bible of generations of leaders. Jesus did it. Where are, better yet, where have you invested your time in the last year? It's, it's a simple question of your calendar. Look at it. How many appointments have you had with people that you can't help anyway? It's an emergency pastor. How long have you been married? 18 years. How long has it been horrible? 18 years. <laughs> well, we have to talk to you now. Yeah, I don't think you do. Yeah, you wait another day. Every weekend, somewhere between 10 to 15 people come up to me and say, I need to meet with you every weekend. Because I go out after every service and hang out and greet people till they're gone. 10 to 15 people every week. Pastor, I, I have to meet with you. I said, well, why? Well, you know, I, I, just need to, I, I just need to meet with you. I said, here's what we, you, if you'll call the church, they're going to put you with somebody that can help you. And that person has someone available to them to help them. And if they can't help them, then they'll call me and I'll, and I'll do my best. I said, but it, that rarely happens. Yeah, but I, I need to meet with you. I said, yeah, but that's not going to happen. Well, why? Are you important? You're too important to meet with me. No, no, I just would rather obey, obey Jesus than you. I love you. I care about you. But when I die, you won't be there. So satisfying your want Again, spiritual children said, say, I want it. Give it to me now. I want it. Give it to me. Ah, slam the door. I'm not coming back to this church. Love you. I, I'm not crude. I'm not mean. Honestly, I'm polite. But I am direct. Remember, I told you I used to lie to people. Well, let me pray about it. I'm not praying about it. I knew it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's just what you say to get someone away from you. And you know what you let them do? You let them now add spiritual value to that decision. Now, I have to tell them they didn't hear from God. I set them up for a disappointment. Instead of saying, and, and again, I, we, different types of churches do different types of worship. And I, I, this one, I don't understand it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just have never understood it. Maybe because I'm a guy and I grew up Catholic. But when white American people pretend they're Jewish and dance, in, in outfits. I don't understand it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying not in the church I passed. Because I don't understand. And they're like, you know, we, we want to bring tambourines and, all, and do all I'm just like, yeah, we don't do that. Well, that's how I worship. I said, I have a question for you. Do you go around your neighborhood and the street, up and down the streets doing this? No. I said, why would you do that in my house then? <laughs> People come to your house. You, do, you dress like this in your house? Well, no. So, so why do you want to come here and do theater? Do have a Nagila somewhere else. 
Abba, Nagila. You know, I'm not saying it's wrong. But this church doesn't exist to make Christians who want to do a thing do your, now, if a church, I said, I'm telling you, there are churches that would love this. Do it there. Why? Because I'm not going to let somebody direct my calling. And I'm not going to let somebody divert my focus, my time. And so week after week, people say I'm not coming back here because they didn't get to meet with me. What can I do about that? Nothing. I have to make a decision. I'm going to obey God and follow Jesus, or let somebody who I don't even know ruin my life. It's kind of nuts, isn't it? Well, they asked me, what am I going to do? This is a whole paragraph. No, I can't do that. You have to. You're a pastor. Now, I only have to do what Jesus and my wife say. That's all. That smile real big. They don't always smile back. Let me take you quickly to Exodus 18. This is one I'm sure you're familiar with, so I won't take the time to go in great depth. But Moses is a type of Jesus for a type of a pastor. And Moses, like all of us, have the same issues. One guy trying to fix all the stuff, right? So I'm just going to read it and just let, let us rest on just a few of the statements because I'm wanting you to see it's in the Bible. This practice is in the Bible. And to not do it is ungodly. By ungodly, I don't mean rob a bank ungodly. Not Christ-like. So Moses, being a type of pastor, faces, I think it's such a perfect example of what we all deal with. Exodus 18, 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve. Everybody say serve. serve. He was doing a good thing in his mind. To serve for the people. Everyone say for the people. For the people. I'm for y'all. I'm serving you. And then said they stood around him from morning to evening. You want to know what people stand around all day waiting to talk to one guy do? Fight. Remember this. If people aren't fighting for something that God wants, they'll just fight. Because there's a fight in people. Just make sure you direct it toward the kingdom. Verse 14. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing to the people. One translation says four, another says two. Now I imagine his father-in-law was probably hearing his wife complain. Daddy Mo comes home every night and do won't talk. I try to say, Mo, what's up? He's like, I can't talk to nobody. Feed me. Let me go to bed. I got to go see those people in the morning. They're there all morning to night. I'm dealing with all their trouble. It's driving me nuts. Yeah, but I'm your wife. Oh, God, have mercy. Why did I have you? Just leave me alone. Give me time. Daddy, you got to talk to him. Uh, that's just in my head. That's fourth, that's fourth John. Okay, so my name's John. You'll get that one on the way home. So uh, when Moses' father-in-law saw that Moses was doing for to the people, he said, what is this you're doing to the people? Why do you sit alone as a judge while all those people stand around you from morning to evening? Moses answered to him and said, because. I have a reason to do this wrongly. Am I the only one that's ever had a good reason to do it wrongly? Well, you have to do it. I mean, what else can I do? You can do it properly. Yeah, I don't think so. Because, good reason, the people come to me to seek God's will. Is that a good thing? Yes. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. And Moses' father-in-law said, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me now, and I'll give you some advice, and God will be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. And now he tells them how to do it. He says, teach them the decrees and laws. Everybody say teach. And show them. Everybody say show. Remember, they were with Jesus. Show them the way to live, walk, or conduct themselves. And show them the work they are to perform. 
Now, verse 21. But select capable men. There we go. Everybody say select. Now say capable. Well, I just need, brother, all you need is to be faithful. No, no, you don't. Not in the Bible. You need faithful and able. But select capable men from all the people. Select. Don't ask for volunteers. Select. 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 Capable men from all the people. Men, now he gives their values. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. This will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go and satisfy it. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said and he chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. Now, I want you to see the levels. You will never multiply until you have captains that are, have greater capacity over people. Here's the capacity, for example. Many people serving as leaders in our churches aren't captains of anything. They're not leaders, they're doers. And that's okay. I mean, God's graced them to do that. But he said, Moses, I want you to define their capacity, whether they could be, can they lead 10 people? Can they lead 50 and under? Can they lead 100 or 200 or 300? And Moses, there can be some that can lead thousands. And there was a pyramid built that ended with Moses at the top. Pastors, we built it the other way around, and that point goes right in our back. And the weight of everything goes on me. But Moses had to stop. I wish there was some understanding as to how he selected them, how he actually made those decisions. We don't have that. When I see Mo, I want to ask. I don't think I want to then, but I, I, I'm curious. Somehow Moses was able to determine capacity. So how can I determine the capacity of a person? It's very simple. Do they have capacity in their everyday life? What do they do? How capable are they in their everyday life? What do they do for a living? Are they a person that has very little responsibility but works hard? They don't lead anybody. But you're, because they love Jesus, they're going to now lead in your church. Nope. Moses decided who were the leaders by how they lived their lives outside of the kingdom. Do you? Do you ask those questions? I had a man, a dear man, was there almost the day we started. And I mean, he and his wife were marvelous people. And they had some leadership capacity. He came up to me one day and he said, uh, I've been in this church from the beginning. Why am I not on the board? I said, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer it. He said, uh, I said, how much money do you make a year? Are you saying you have to be at my... I said, I'm asking you for... A Don't answer the question. Put it in your head. I said, tell me a budget that you've managed beyond your own. Don't tell me. Just think about it. Now, if you've never managed other people's money in your life, and I'm responsible to do that, and by the way, I have less experience than you do. Why would I ever ask you to help me do something you've never done? You have great gifts in these other areas, but this isn't one of them. We were doing with banks. I said, do you know the LIBOR rate with the banks today? And he goes, what's LIBOR? I said, exactly. The guys on my board negotiated with banks that they, they loaned them money. And so the bank's saying, this is your rate. He calls and he says, yeah, I don't think so. Because I can move my accounts. All right. And he owned two of these massive grocery stores. 
and he put tens of millions of dollars to this bank. He said, yeah, he said, there are other banks. We can move. He said, so you're going to treat the church I go to. Well, I didn't know you were on the board. I don't care. It's going to get lower. Because I know what LIBOR is, and they came back two points off our interest. I wouldn't have known how to do that. You select capable people. Again, go back to the analogy of raising a child who has a brain tumor. Who would you select to do that surgery? What would your criteria be? Would you let a plumber do it? They're good with their hands. Mechanic? Any brain surgeon? Or would you want a pediatric brain surgeon? And would you want another track record? How, how, how much due diligence would you have before you let a human being put a knife in the skull of your child? That's the level of diligence and due diligence to select your highest level of leaders. So the second thing that I want to bring to your attention is how Jesus invested his time and influence. How did he do it? How? Because the how questions everything. It really is. It's absolutely everything. Two process questions. Does my calendar over the last six months reflect Jesus' behaviors? And will the next six months reflect it? Or have I replaced it with my legitimate excuses? Sunday's coming for all of us. Boy, it comes regularly, doesn't it? And we can get so caught up in the moment that we don't do the principles of Jesus. And it will slow you down to speed you up. And I, again, love what Maxwell said. The effort must be stored up before it shows up. Second question is this. When I get worn down because of this, do I reflect on my obedience or disobedience to this principle, or do I fix blame beyond myself? You're not careful. If you do this long enough, you can get a martyr's complex. All right. Nobody cares. I just work, man. No one even appreciates a birthday. Nobody even said happy birthday, let alone like, hey, you go to you go to Olive Garden or something, which would be like a curse to an Italian. But anyway, <laughs> here's what I know about all the good martyrs. They're dead. Yeah, they're dead. You don't want to be a good martyr. You have to be dead to be a good martyr. When I find myself being worn down, and I do, just like you do, I always go back to who I'm spending my time with. Who am I investing time in? So if you were to look at my calendar, I don't solve problems for people. Almost literally. Now there's probably about 10%, not even, maybe 5% of my time Maybe not, that's too much. Probably 3% of my entire time will be spent with issues of individuals because they're just life and death things that as the lead pastor, you should be there. Because it gets up through the, the captains. And your presence is needed in some places. Four in the morning, somebody's dead in the hospital and they're meeting there and their kid's in that, that, that emergency room dead. I would be at that hospital. I don't care if we had 60,000 people. Why? Because I'm available to do it. Why am I available to do it? Because I'm at a place to where everything else is being handled by other people. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. Where are you investing your time? Where are you literally sowing your... And it's not a mystery. Just look at your calendar. If I said, if you were to look at my calendar right now, I would show you meetings with people of high capacity. Some of them are doing stuff in our church. Some aren't at all. I'm just investing in them to find out what's in them because they're a multiplier. When you get that principle and you begin to put, when you make this, this change in the way you invest time, it will force you to meet the needs of your people in the way that the scripture said through other people. We're going to take a break in just a moment. Forgive me for going a little longer on the first thing, but I forget when I started. We have developed a process with lay pastors now. 
I think there are I think 30 some that are through our campuses. They're, they go to our church. They're marvelous people. They have a pastoral calling. I think it's a 13-week training program they go through. They do weddings. They do funerals. They do all of our initial calling of where it requires a pastor. They handle four or five calls every day, that team of people. They do all, they do, now I'll go to the hospital. If I show up at the hospital, it's a bad day for you. I'll leave you with this story. We'll take a break. I was, I was out. There's this older lady had been in our church since it started. And I, and, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm at a red light. I look down at my email. No, you're not supposed to do that. But I did it anyway. And oh man, she's in the, and I'm literally five minutes from that hospital. She's in the emergency room. So I called my assistant. I said, hey, take it off the list. Tell them I'll, I'm right here. I'm going to stop by and see her. So I go in and you know, pastors, emergency room people know you. They just kind of let you through because you've been there so many times. So I come in and she's out in the gurney in the hallway because, you know, there's no room in the other spaces. And she sees me and she starts screaming. No, what's wrong with me? I'm like, no, 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 no. She said, tell me the truth. What is wrong with me? I'm like, no. I said, no, I was just in the air. No, she's screaming. They made me leave. I said, will you tell her I just got the, I was driving by the hospital and I, I just wanted to come see her because I was, I tell her she's not going to die. I got back there. She looked at me and she said, don't you ever do that to me again. God, I looked up, saw you in the hallway. Oh God, I'm dying. Anyway, we will take a 10-minute break. Oh, here we go. For more information on our annual conferences, including our leadership conference, women's conference, men's conference, youth leader intensive, and youth camps and conferences, visit nrpastors.com. To check out all of our podcasts, including the Leadership and Context podcast by Keith Tusi the Flourish Women's Podcast by Penny Tusi, and the podcast for all of our conferences, click on the podcast tab on our website. We can't wait to see you at one of our conferences soon.